Well, good morning, everyone. It is so great to be here with you today as we get to just worship God, serve God. And I just want to commend all of you for being here today. I know that this is a long weekend and you could be doing lots of other things. And it is just great to great, great to see people come and worship God in the house of the Lord. And I want to say a big welcome to those who are joining with us online. We're great to have you with us as well. And again, my name is Pastor Todd, along with my wife, Jan. We are the lead pastors here at Eastside City Church, and we're just so blessed to have you. Well, as I was preparing this week, I felt the Lord drop something in my heart just even before I begin uh, the message, and it was this. I just heard God saying, lift Jesus higher. Lift Jesus higher. And we, there's a song that we, I, I used to sing, and it was like God began to put this thought in my mind. And it's this, as you lift Jesus higher, he will lift you above your discouragement, difficulties, and give you a whole new perspective. And I believe sometimes we need another perspective. And it comes from living a life of worship where we honor God with everything that we do. Uh, next Sunday, I'm excited to... Also let you know that we have the privilege of honoring all of our volunteers. Next Sunday is going to be a volunteer appreciation Sunday, and we're going to just, we're here to thank people. And I do, I just want to say a big thank you to everyone, especially in this crazy season for those who have given to make sure that these things that we do that are essential to do, that they're allowed to do that. I say this, a great church comes from great volunteers. And so I want to encourage you, encourage you. If you're new here, you're maybe not sure one of the ways you can get to know people is dive in and volunteer and work with people and get to know people. It's an awesome thing. As well, prayer. We have prayer each Monday night uh, from 7.30 to 8.30 on our Zoom. And if you want to join us with that, we have a link on our website at eastsidecitychurch.ca. Um, you can find all sorts of awesome things about our church, what's happening, other things that are going on. Well, enough of that stuff. I want to get into this message that the Lord has put on my heart to share with you today. And I want to start with this. It's almost hard for me to believe that the, the school year is almost over. I know I've got some teachers here that are probably like, yeah, I mean, this last year or two, it's been incredibly crazy. And I think it's great that it's about to end. I know for me, it's a little bit of a, uh, I kind of have a mixed emotions. My youngest my son is getting ready to graduate this year. Or it'll be our last high school student, and then both of my kids will be in college. But I was just thinking about school, and I was thinking about all the things that surround it, and maybe for some of you, it's something you try to forget about. It's like, that was a long time ago. Let's get rid of that. Um, but I was thinking about the, the hundreds and probably thousands of lessons that I learned over the years, and many of them I know I've forgotten or I don't, they don't stick out to me, but there are a couple that are, are so significant that I still remember them today. And, and, um, and so maybe you have a classroom moment or an exam moment that is stuck in your head for perpetuity. It's just, you can't get rid of it. It kind of comes back to you at any time. Well, when I was in the third grade, uh, my teacher decided to give us a random test. And she told this to the class before we started, that the test was about our ability to follow directions. <laughs> Who could have thought about third graders needing to follow directions? 
And so she gave us this exam, and it went like this. She goes, here's the exam. First of all, put your name at the top of the paper. That's always a good place to start so we know who you are. And then her second question was this, list what is your favorite color. I mean, I'm in third grade. I'm like, come on. This is easy. This is my, what my favorite color is. There's no way I'm going to get this wrong. And then she said this, put your pencil down and do not answer any more questions. And then she went on to another question. What is your home address? It's like, well, that's easy too. How many people are in the class today? These are very, these are like, you can't get these wrong. And so for another six questions or so, we went on. And then at the end of the exam, she told us, she goes like, hand the test to your neighbor on the right. You're going to each grade each other's things. I was like, oh man, this was so easy. There is no way. These are simple questions. I, this is an easy 100%. And things were going great until we arrived at, back at question number three which said, put your pencil down and do not answer any more questions. At that moment came the crushing blow for me and all but two of my classmates. She said, anyone who answered any more questions will be marked with a zero for not following directions. <laughs> crushing. Today, <laughs> we're going to continue our Follow Me series and I am going to share with you the importance of following directions for Jesus followers. How's that for a segue? Now, this might surprise you, but the measure of our faith and our spiritual maturity is determined by our willingness to follow godly direction. In the book of Proverbs, King Solomon writes these words to us. He says, my child, pay attention Pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart. He's saying, don't lose sight of what? What, what are we not to lose sight of? Well, his, it's, he's saying the words of instructions, the things that I'm about to tell you. Now, have you ever lost the instructions for something like a TV remote? You know, you use it every day. You're like, hey, I don't need this anymore. You throw it out or it gets lost. It gets packed in a box somewhere. And all of a sudden, until you, you buy something like a, a new uh, a DVD player or you're doing live streaming or something and you're like, ah, how do I connect this thing? Where is that? Where, where are those instructions at? And they're gone because you needed them. Or maybe like me, you've decided that times you just don't need instructions. You don't need help with certain things like building a simple bookshelf, hey. It was great until it was almost done. And re then I realized I had not connected the side. I'd connected the sides in the wrong order, and I had to take the whole thing apart again and start from the very beginning. Why? Because I didn't follow the directions. You see, instructions are important. And when they are followed correctly, they can save us time and grief. So back to Solomon, he's saying, pay attention to what I say. Well, we have to ask ourselves this, is what Solomon's saying to us? Are these his words or is he referring to somebody else's words? Or what's the talk? Well, we, we, we understand as we, we learn about him, we're going to get back into this here in a moment, that in the scripture, Solomon is emphasizing the importance of, for us to listen and meditate upon God's words or his instruction, that Solomon actually, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote these things. And so this was actually God's words through him that he's writing to us. And he says, pay attention to them. 
Don't lose sight of them. Let them go deep into your heart. So where is it then that we find godly direction? Well, I believe this, and today this is the simple part of my message, is that we find directions for our, si- our lives and how to live through the Bible, through reading the Bible, through memorizing the Bible, through applying the, the Bible to our lives. I believe this, that Jesus' followers seek the word of God for instruction. Jesus' followers build their lives on God's word. If you want to know God's will, then know his word. Does that make sense? If you want to do God's will, then follow his word. And I believe this, those who build their lives upon the Bible experience the greatest freedoms and blessings in their lives. But here's the question, what do you believe about the Bible? What does the the Bible mean to you when I I talk about it? Do you believe that it is a good book with some important teaching that people should follow? In fact, you may come here and be like, there's a lot of people in the world today that say the Bible is an incredible literary work. It's one of the greatest pieces of literature that was ever written, like many other great pieces of literature. Or do you believe that that it holds the actual words of God, that it is absolute truth when it comes to this life and the life to come. What you believe about this, your view of the Bible, and I'm going to say this a couple of times, will determine your destiny. You, how you view the Bible will determine your destiny. And I want to say this, true followers of Jesus believes that the Bible defines truth and is the ultimate authority when it comes to life. Now, I know I'm getting some amens here, and I hate to say this, but what I'm sharing actually is not a popular opinion for many people. In fact, even some who confess to serve Jesus would be like, I'm not sure about that, Pastor Todd. I don't know if what you're telling me is 100% truth. You see, there's an attack right now in society and the world on absolute truth. Can we have absolute truth? Does absolute truth even exist? Because if there is a belief in absolute truth, you have to understand this, then we are then able to be held accountable to that truth. And one of the things people don't like, and I know sometimes even in my own life, I don't like people telling me what to do or what to say. You know, we don't like to be held accountable. But if we can remove truth that conforms to popular thought or personal feelings or whatever standard we like, then we're not accountable for anything or anybody but to ourselves. It's why we have people claiming today, and I'm going to, here's a little zinger, that you can be whatever gender you want to be. Because that's your truth. It's what you believe. It's not, nobody can tell you based on science. I mean, it's, and, and, and I'll tell you what any scientist that argues other things really isn't a scientist. And we call this humanism or the root of self-worship. I decide. And so Jesus warns us to be careful that we don't allow these kinds of things to to become a part of our lives or even to enter into our, our church or our thinking. In fact, he says this in Matthew chapter 16, verses five and six. He says, later after they'd crossed to the other side of the lake, the disciples, disciples, hey, they're really cool people too. 
discovered they had forgotten to bring any bread. So here's the story that, that they've been ministering. They've been out all day. They go to the other side of the lake to get away from the massive crowds, and they realize we don't have any food. And so they ask him about this. And here's what Jesus says. He goes, watch out, Jesus warned them. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The yeast of the Pharisees. and the, We just wanted some bread to eat, Jesus. What are you talking about? Well, what is the yeast or the leaven in other translations of the, of the Pharisees that Jesus was talking about? Well, we have to understand this, that over time, the religious leaders in the church or in the Jewish community had developed customs and traditions that superseded the instructions of God. They, they were leading people to say, you know what, yeah, here's, what the, here's what our teachings are, but, but here are our customs. These are, these are things that we hold dear to. And all of a sudden, over time, the things that were maybe just a little bit off began to become bigger and bigger until people were more concerned about following traditions and customs than they were on focusing on the Word of God. And so they became man-made religion that brought people to them for advice instead of focusing on who God was. And because of that, certain sins and lifestyle choices were ignored if you ex followed the accepted customs and rituals. And so Jesus, all throughout the New Testament, is constantly, I mean, if there's anybody that he's harassing and he's poking at are, are, are these religious leaders that were teaching people that they didn't have to follow things. And he called them names like whitewashed tombs. <laughs> and what he says is, you look really good on the outside, but inside of you is nothing but death and destruction. He focused on the outward appearance or following accepted narratives and accept that was more important than the heart change with or honoring God. So it's important for us that we be careful that we don't get the yeast of the Pharisees entering the church today. That we expose those teachings that are ungodly and of anti -Christ, that are antichrist in nature. And I want to talk about one of them significantly today. And for some people, this is going to be really interesting. For others, you might be like, wow, that's a lot of words. I want to talk about a dangerous philosophy that's impacting the church today called deconstructionism. What is deconstructionism? Deconstructionism, you won't maybe know that it's going on, but when I say it and I begin to talk about it, you'll be like, ah, I, I see that. Because if you can are aware of it, you'll be able to see it. Deconstruction is a philosophical theory of criticism, usually of literature or film, that seeks to expose deep-seated contradictions in a work by delving below its surface meaning. So if you consider the Bible a great literary work, you're going to be like, well, let's, let's, let's talk about this. Deconstructionism is basically a theory of textual criticism or interpretation that denies... There is any single correct meaning or interpretation of a passage or text. At the heart of deconstructionist theory of interpretation are two primary ideas. First of all, first, the idea is that no passage or text convey a single reliable, consistent, coherent message to everyone who reads it or hears it. What is he saying? What you hear is different than what I hear, which there is some truth in that when we read things, that God speaks to us differently at different times. 
But what you see and what you hear because of your lived experience, you probably heard that terminology in the world today, our lived experiences will mean all of a sudden, I can't question what's going on in your life. I can't challenge what's going on in your life because you have something totally different to me and your truth now becomes your truth and my truth is my truth. And it becomes very subjective. And the second is that the author who wrote the text is less responsible for the piece's content because there are impersonal forces of culture such as language and the author's unconscious ideology. So all of a sudden we, we, we can disqualify things because, well, you, you know, that person kind of was that way or this way. You see, deconstructionist approach to interpreting the, the Bible comes out of postmodernism and is therefore simply another denial of the existence of absolute truth which is one of the most serious, logical fallacies anyone can commit. The denial of absolute truth is a logical fallacy because it is a self-contradictory statement. Well, what does this really mean? Let's talk about it this way. What was sin 2,000 years ago is not sin today because society has evolved and changed. That's what deconstructionism is. Ideas about family, marriage, and sexuality are always evolving and cannot be judged by the outdated standards of the Bible. Have you heard people sometimes talk about it? It doesn't apply anymore. Those are old-fashioned teachings. Those things don't work. And what Jesus did said 2,000 years ago must be filtered through the lens of, listen to this, of racial, racial bias and other social tensions. According to deconstructionism, Jesus' teaching of forgiveness would be invalidated because of systemic racism, an abusive childhood, or it could be other real or perceived injustices based on, you know, people don't understand. You don't have to forgive because all of the stuff has happened to you over time in history. And it produces a, profe- uh, a, a pressure for people to conform to society instead of lean into the word of God. The problem is that it creeps into the church through people's declarations and attitudes. And I believe this, we have to be careful because it is a spirit of antichrist. And and here's the the thing about this. What people think will lead to freedom, I talked about this a few months ago, actually leads to discouragement, despair, and death. So what is the cure? The cure is the word of God. You see, the solution is to accept and embrace the truth of the Bible. (laughs) You see, now it doesn't matter what my opinion is. Now it doesn't matter what my thoughts are. I'm going to something now that defines what truth is. And it doesn't change. It doesn't change in situations or circumstances. It is what it is. We have to understand the word of God supersedes culture. See, culture must submit to the word of God. You see, I've had the privilege of going all around the world, and and what I've learned is that every nation, every people group has incredible, beautiful things that are so fantastic that that, that the rest of the world, I believe, needs to embrace the lovely things that come from other people's cultures. But every culture also has things (laughs) that aren't so good. 
And sometimes people put culture above serving God or the word of God. And God says, no, culture submits to the Bible. The word of God is greater than government. Hello? Government is subservient to the word of God. Whether we all agree with that or not, that's just the way it is. The word of God is bigger than my feelings. My feelings and opinions must be submitted to the word of God. So why would we do this? Why can we trust the Bible? This is where I'm going to land in the last part of my message. Why can we trust the Bible? Well, did you know this, that the number of Bibles that have been printed in, over the course of time has been printed, if you, if you added up all the other books that have been printed in the history of the world combined. There are more copies of the Bible sold each year than any other book. That's why it's no longer listed as a New York Times bestseller because everybody now is competing for second place. Now that is cool, but that's not a good enough reason to trust the Bible. Here are four reasons why I believe we can put our trust in the word of God. First of all, God's word is unique. The Bible is a collection of 66 unique books that were written over 1,600 years by approximately 40 different authors using three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Now, those authors were from all walks of life. Some were kings, fishermen, lawyers, farmers, priests, doctors, slaves, and many more. It includes every type of literature, including history, law, poetry, biography, songs, letters, parables, and much more. And Kevin Connors writes this in his book, The Foundation of Christian Doctrine. The miracle is that an amazing unified book was produced with each writer contributing certain needed portions that harmonize but never contradict the whole. I'm telling you, there's no way man in his own wisdom could, over, could say, like, you know what, I'm going to put a work together that it's going to go over 1,600 years, and we're going to have 40-plus authors, and we're going to use all of these different things, and it's going to have congruency, it's going to have harmony, it's going to flow together. Each piece is going to complement the rest, and, and it's going to bring light to the rest of it. Man could not do that in his wildest dreams. This is a divine achievement. But here's a big one that is a stumbling block for many. God's word is perfect. This is number two. The Bible is an inherent or written without any mistake or contradiction in its original text. Not only was the Bible written over 1,600 years by multiple people, but it is completely accurate and without error. Come on, Pastor Todd, that's crazy. There's no book without error. In fact, I found a printing mistake in one of my Bible pages. Well, folks, those are translations. There are things that are there. But in its original form, when it was written down, as people under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit wrote it, it was perfect and without error. You see, here's the, the reality. If one part of the Bible is not true then the character and nature of God come into question. Why could you trust God? And I shared this Easter that for eight of the more than 20 prophecies concerning Jesus and the crucifixion to be fulfilled, the number would be one in one quadrillion. It's a lot. 
For all of them to be fulfilled is a number that is too big for me to write down. It is impossible. In the book I have read about Kevin Connors, The Foundation of Christian Doctrine, he writes this, there is also the ingenious numerical structure hidden in the scriptures as seen in the genealogy of Christ in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. I don't know if you've ever read that. I don't particularly enjoy reading genealogies. Adam begat, you're like, okay, great. Did you know that, that the number of words in the vocabulary will all divide by seven perfectly? The number of words beginning with the vowel are divisible by seven. The number of words beginning with the consonant are, guess what, divisible by seven. The number of letters in the vocabulary is divisible by seven. The number of words occurring more than once is divisible by guess what? The number of words occurring only once is divisible by seven. The number of nouns is divisible by seven. The number of words that are not nouns are divisible by seven. The number of proper names divide by seven. The number of male names divide by seven. And the number of female names divide by seven. You do the math on the probability of that occurring randomly and bring that back to me next week. This is your assignment. I'm going to be a teacher today. As time goes on, like any other truth, the Bible has proven to be more accurate as technology and new discoveries are made. I got to say this, I'm a, I'm a science person. That's what I was going to be before I became a pastor. I was going to be a science teacher. And one of the crazy things about it is when I was growing up, they're like, well, you know, we came from simple cells and evolutionary thought. And, and what's, what has happened, what has blown everything to smithereens is those things that they once thought were just super simple cells and with electron microscopes becoming more powerful, they're realizing are incredibly complex, detailed organisms that, that's just blown everybody's minds. And people that didn't believe in intelligent design, there's a word for you, are now having to come to terms with the fact somebody had their hand in this. And I'll tell you who it was. His name is God. You see, time doesn't weaken biblical truth. It only strengthens it. Now, here's my third point. God's word is alive. (laughs) God's word is alive. When I was in high school, While driving home one evening, I ended up striking a deer that jumped in front of my car. I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you. It is a woohoo, it's a come to Jesus moment, right? (laughs) When I hit the deer, it rolled over the hood of my car, fell to the ground, and seemingly was dead on the side of the road. And I did not want to know what was more scared, uh, what I was more scared about the fact that I'd killed a deer, I'd killed Bambi, (laughs) or that I was going to have to tell my mom I killed Bambi because she loves critters and animals and you just don't do that. Even if it's not your fault, you're still in trouble. But when I approached the deer to move him off to the the side of the road, the strangest thing happened. It jumped to its feet and darted into the woods. It was not dead, but alive. I don't know what was bigger, the skid marks on the side of the road that I, as I went towards the deer or the skid marks in my shorts when that deer <laughs> jumped up. And The reason, there's a reason today as well as throughout history that those who are opposed to God 
have tried to remove the Bible. Why? Because the word is alive. It's a living word. You see, when people read the Bible, when people begin to consume the Bible, when people begin to dwell on the Bible, there's an opportunity for life transformation to occur. You see, lies can be removed. Thinking can be changed. And freedom then is released through the word of God. Listen to what John the disciple writes in John chapter 1 verse 14. He says, so the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory and the glory of the Father's one and only Son. You see, Jesus is the physical manifestation of the word of God. He lives through his word. He is the word. You want to know how God thinks? Read the Bible. You want to know what is important to God? Read the Bible. You want to become more like Jesus? Read the Bible. As you read the Bible, it will begin to read you. <laughs> I got to share this. Some people are like, well, I've had people that aren't believers. They're like, you read the Bible. How many times have you read the Bible? Well, I try to read through it at least once a year. Sometimes I read through it three times a year. And they're like, well, why would you do that? Because every time I do, God speaks something new to me. He reveals things about my life. Could be situations that I'm going through. I just, I happen to read that day and all of a sudden Holy Spirit goes, let me show you something through the word of God. Isaiah 55, 11 says that when we read his word, it does not come back void. Here's my last point. God's word is eternal. The one thing that is forever is the word of God. Money will not last. Beauty will fade. Knowledge, the Bible says, will even disappear. But the word of God will remain forever. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. In the beginning, listen to this, the word already existed. What he's saying is before even creation, before the world was made, before human beings were on the earth, he said, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him being Jesus. And nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought life to everyone. I don't know about you, but I want more life. You see, here's the thing when it comes to the Bible. You can disagree with it. That's your choice. You can ignore it. It's your choice as well. You can wrestle with it, but the truth will not change. God's word is eternal. So I believe we should dive into the word. We should read it. We should speak it. We should memorize it, and even meditate on it. But here's the most important thing that we can do is follow it. Not just know it, not just go, yeah, that's a great idea, but apply it to our life, especially, especially when it challenges us. David wrote this in Psalms chapter 119, verses 10 to 12. He says, I seek you with all my heart. He's talking about God. Don't let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. May that be our prayer today. God, would you 
reveal your decrees to me. You know, it isn't easy because it produces accountability. We, we actually have to change ourselves. We have to change our lives through the power, by God's grace when the word of God comes to us. And I believe that maybe there's some people here today that you've struggled with truth. You've wrestled with believing in God's words. Maybe even as I talked about, this isn't just a great historical book, but it is the book of truth and life. Maybe you've been neglectful of the word of God. You haven't really read it as much as you should. I'm hoping in the days and weeks to come to provide some things that will help you be able to read the word and be able to maybe understand it. Because sometimes people just don't know where to start or where to begin. Tell you what, read a Proverbs every day. There's 31 Proverbs in the Bible. Today is May 22nd, I believe. Read Proverbs 22. It will change you. It will impact you. But I'm also praying that there will be a truth revolution that will hit the church but will extend out into the world. That I pray that the lies of the enemy will be broken off of people's lives. You see, when you know the truth, he, he says this in John chapter 8, verses 31 to 32. Jesus said to those who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. You see, my desire, I declare it today. God, I declare freedom for people today. Lord, that you'd give us your freedom and your freedom would come from your word. The Bible isn't just some other book. It is the book. Maybe today you need to renew just your love for the word of God. It's okay. I have seasons in my life where I get busy sometimes and I maybe don't focus on it as I should and God just beckons me back and then I dive back in and it's a beautiful thing. Lord, I pray for every person here today. Lord, wherever they're at, I pray God that you would just cultivate a desire in each of our hearts to to, Lord, to read your word, to allow your word to speak to us, but to submit our lives to your word, the Bible. Lord, I pray that there would be a truth revolution that would happen that is based on your word and your truth, God, not on man's ideas. Lord, we've had too many of man's ideas. They're broken. They don't work, Father God. They don't help anybody. They lead people into bondage, Father God. And so, Jesus, may we be those who know the truth, and the Lord, the truth has set us free. We thank you for this in Jesus' mighty, powerful name. Amen. Amen.